Hello and welcome. This is the Just Bloody Post-It podcast for creative doers who are marketing their work on the internet. I'm Helen Perry, your host, and I spend my time teaching and promoting and teaching and creating, keeping myself and my clients on track because, oh my goodness, it's easy to wobble, to doubt yourself particularly on Instagram, where the job of staying in style is a particularly tough one. You can be constantly asking yourself, should I be doing what they're doing? And why do they have a bigger audience than me? And can I really do this at my age? Our guest this time is in no doubt. Never. My job is to try and encourage more diversity, show women of every colour, creed, colour, race, size, shape, everything. So you're never too late to jump on any social trends, just do it. But I think what holds women back is the confidence issue and comparing themselves to others. You conquer those two and just get on the platform and your business will fly. Anita Ferrin-Clark's a personal stylist and colour expert, and she's not playing. She has been in the fashion industry for more than 27 years, working first for M&S and then as a lecturer. Now she works as a one-to-one stylist, sharing her wealth of knowledge with clients all over the world who want to feel better and excited about what they wear. Instagram's the obvious home for anyone in fashion, isn't it? So obvious that thousands upon thousands of people are using it to try and stand out, wearing great outfits. When I first met Anita a few years ago, she didn't feel like it was working well enough for her and was frustrated that people with less experience had bigger followings and more work. She's since sorted her head out, religiously sticks to her niche of working with midlife women and is bringing in the bookings. We chat about her mindset, viral reels, her thoughts on diversity or lack of it in influencer marketing. But I started by asking how she fits Insta creating into her working week. I would say I say to myself, eight hours a day is work. Um, And out of those eight hours, two hours a day is social media. But how you skin those eight hours could be different every day. I could start at 12 and work later into the evening. I could start at eight in the morning and finish by the time the kids come to school. But I can only actually stay on top of my work if I do eight hours a day. How did you get into the business of fashion? I know it starts before you became a stylist. I was never, ever encouraged to be a creative I actually was forced to do chemistry, biology and maths A-levels by my parents and I flunked them and got kicked out of sixth form college. And that was the time I said to myself, right, I'm never going to listen to my parents again. I'm going to follow my passion and I actually think I'm a bit of a creative. So when I left home, the world became my oyster. Then I decided that I wanted a career as a buyer uh, and I did, did a business studies degree And what was the sort of piece de resistance, what got me started was um, getting a place on the graduate training scheme with Marks and Spencer. And the training was second to none. And that has set me up for life. Stuff I learned when I was 25 still is in my memory bank. And I still impart that information to my clients. There came a point, though, didn't there, when working in a a big corporate didn't work for you anymore? You took the opportunity to leave and then 
kind of had nothing to do in front of you. And I would love you to tell the story of how you decided to retrain as a stylist. I just couldn't cope with traveling all over the world and saying to my husband, here's the kids. I'm off to China for 12 days to check out Marks and Spencer's factories and production. And um, by um, by coincidence, I was really struggling with having two small kids. I was offered voluntary redundancy from M&S and I jumped at the chance. And then I had this huge void in front of me where I had two small kids but no job. And I'm sorry, I'm not a stay-at-home mum. You know, looking after kids full-time for me would drive me absolutely nuts. <laughs> sorry. And um, I, I thought, right, what am I going to do next? So I invited over some of my fabulous friends. There was about eight of us. I fed them copious amounts of curry and I said, right, here's some post-its each please could you just help me let's have a little brainstorm please could you tell me what you think I should do next so on these post-its you know those lovely fluorescent ones they had written lecturer teacher um, stylist um, enjoys colour enjoys cooking uh, cookery chef or all of this stuff so but fundamentally what kept coming up was the fact that I understood about fashion um, I knew how to project myself and teach. So then I did a teacher training course and then I worked for three years at the London College of Fashion teaching fashion buying and merchandising as well as the science of colour. And then I also concurrently I set up Ferron Clark Style. So that was 14 years ago when my kids were still absolutely, you know, tiny whiny. So 2007 to 2008 was the busiest year of my life but it was those post-its and the kindness of my friends who knew what my ability was although I didn't know what it was who helped me embark on a, another career in fashion. When did the styling start to overtake the teaching because you're 100% a full-time stylist now? The lecturing, the teaching became um, quite a big job in itself because I also had to mark dissertations and all of that and prep for lectures. So my styling was on hold until um, I finished as a lecturer, which was sort of in um, 2011. So that's when I really took the styling reins and then just went for it. And uh, I haven't looked back. So I would say it really started taking off in 2011. What makes you a bloody good stylist? That's such a kind thing to say. I would say fundamentally the core skill you have to have is objectivity. You cannot make people you see clones of yourself. You cannot push what you would like to wear on them. You have to understand a client's colouring, body shape, lifestyle, their budget, how they like to accessorise. It's all about the client. So I would say, yes, creativity is important. More important than that is objectivity and listening to the client, really listening to what they want and what they want to wear, how they want to feel, how they want to convey their presence, all of that sort of stuff. I think that rule can be applied to lots of <laughs> things that people do. When did you realise that you were going to have to promote this styling business probably online to get clients? Well, I already had my website set up, but I really found that 
Facebook didn't really do much for me. It was just servicing sort of the clients I already had. And I would say it was about four years ago, I was very, very late to the party that I got into Instagram. Actually, sorry, maybe five years ago. And it's only since 2020, it's gone off the scale. Um, So everybody was saying to me when Instagram first came out, oh, Anita, you've got to be on Instagram, jump on Instagram. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatevs, you know, just something else to do. No, thank you. I don't have time. So in hindsight, I should have listened to those people because, you know, my business could be somewhere else. But hey, ho, I finally listened and woke up and smelt the coffee. And yes, so I would say the last five years. And I know that that also, even the Instagram journey, even once you decided to get onto the platform, that has not always been straightforward for you. And I know from discussions we've had together in the past that you found it a frustrating and challenging place to be at times. When you looked around and saw people with less qualifications, less experience, with massive followings, and you were like, uh, how did you shake off that feeling and grow the account that you've got today that drives so much work for you? I actually would look at these accounts and I think, oh, you know, these women who are calling themselves stylists, they have very, very little knowledge and experience compared to me. However, Anita, just cut to the chase, stay in your lane, just think about your own bookings, how much you charge, the testimonials you get, listen to your friends, listen to your husband, listen to all the encouragement, stop looking at other accounts and comparing yourself with others. So it was sort of, I had to give myself a slap on the face, a slap on the wrist to say, come on, just sort yourself out, just focus on what you do well. I haven't looked back since. So whether someone's got 100,000 clients or 3,000 clients, I don't give a damn because I know I'm good at what I do. And I know I'm good at what I do because I get the feedback and I get so many bookings. So Helen, it's about shutting down my own inner critic, being insecure or jealous of others. All of that has stopped and I'm very, very comfortable in my skin now. I think that's the only way you can operate on social media. You have to shut out all the noise, don't you think? And no coincidence that it is since then that actually you've seen your following grow. You've really adopted reels, Anita, and video content, and that that has worked brilliantly for you. Could you describe the kind of reels that you make, how often you make them, and how that's how that's worked for your account? Everything I do is um, is so so visual, and in in a lot of ways, when people come onto Instagram. They aren't really, the only way I can convert them to become my clients is not by what I'm wearing so much, but about how I come across. Do I seem like the sort of person they would like to connect with? They would like to undress down to their underwear in because I have to check their body shape. Am I the sort of person who they are happy to open their wardrobe to and show the good, the bad, the ugly in their wardrobe? So it's all about connection. And I think video content, whether that's reels, videos, Instagram lives, podcasts, really show people what I'm about. And I'll say in my own words, I'm very approachable, I'm kind, I'm authentic, and I'm knowledgeable. And that's 
the visual element of Instagram, i.e. all of the video content, really showcases that. Yeah, you're very, very on it with your reels now. I, I think you post one most days. Is that true? Yeah, probably I try and post five reels a week. Working week Instagrammer. That's the kind of Instagrammer I am, Monday to Friday. And you recently had a reel go viral. Tell us what that's like. I mean, holy shiitake. I was like, oh my God. So, you know, it was just growing and I was sort of just ignoring it. And then sort of two weeks after I posted it, I was just, I happened to scroll down my reels and I thought, bloody hell, that one's at 50,000. Okay, how's that happened? I posted that two weeks ago. And then it grew and grew and grew. And to date, it's had 549,000 views. It's funny, and you know this, I was actually going to delete it because I got slightly paranoid that you could see my VPL again, you know, doesn't really matter. What that reel is, because I had actually been doing reels for 15 months before that, basically posting every day. But that reel, for some reason, on the algorithm was the perfect storm. It was short, eight seconds, good lighting. It was items that women had in their wardrobe or similar items that they could relate to. I used trending music. It was for my target market, i.e. 35+. plus. So for some reason, that just went um, supersonic. I, I, don't, I even to this day don't understand. Yes, I say the perfect storm, but it wasn't a particularly interesting outfit. We will never know the reasons why these things happen. We seek to understand. Uh, how's that translated into growing your, your community, your following? In 35 days since that reel went viral, in 35 days, I grew by 14,000 followers. Not bad, not bad going, not bad. Not bad, considering before that I had about 16,000 followers, which took me about four years to build. (laughs) Oh, I hope you get another viral one soon. Uh, Funny you should say that I've actually got three other videos that are viral at the moment. There you go. I wonder what what is going on. I'm not going to sit here trying to understand it all, but what I will do is I will link to that particular reel in the show notes if people would like to go and take a look at it. It, it's, It's a pretty fun reel. It's pretty cool. You mentioned your target audience, 35 plus. You're really clear on the kind of women that you're serving. Have you ever suffered with your online presence from the feelings of who am I to be on the internet when I am in my 40s or 50s? Or I don't think you're that kind of person. But do you do you ever have those feelings? And make I know lots of people make it around, particularly around making reels, can think I'm too, I'm just too old for this. Never. My job is to try and encourage more diversity. Show women of every color, creed, color, race, uh, size, shape, everything. So, really, you're ne- you're never too late to jump on any social trends. Just do it. But I think what holds women back is the confidence issue and comparing themselves to others. You conquer those two and just get on the platform and your business will fly. Anita, you are a British Asian woman in the fashion industry. How are you seeing representation on Instagram? It's improving, but far too slowly, far too slowly. There isn't enough diversity. You don't see enough 50 plus women, women with grey hair. Asian, plus size, black, there still isn't enough diversity. And I've tried my best 
to encourage brands to work with me and I often get fobbed off or I often don't even get a reply. Um, and then I go on Instagram and then I see someone who looks very different to me uh, working with that brand. And I just sort of think to myself, that brand told me their books were closed. They weren't planning to work with any new stylists or influencers. But hey, they've just signed somebody up who looks very different to me. Maybe I was under the false impression that things had changed a lot in that way, that brands were ultra conscious of how they appear when you scroll through their Instagram feed or look on their website. You don't think that that's not happening yet? It's happening, but far too slowly. And I think brands aren't prepared to take a risk. They sort of have a tried and tested formula which works and they stay with that formula. It's actually really, really irritating. And I bang the drum, I do my best, and hopefully it will change, but it is changing very slowly. Does it put you off influencer work altogether? I know, I know you do a bit, you do do a bit of work with brands and you have done since you've had a much smaller following than uh, you do now. And one thing I could bloody well guarantee them is if they work with you, they'll get their money's worth. I actually don't make my money from being a fashion influencer. I would say 95% of my income is generated from one-to-one clients and corporate presentations. That's the difference between me as a stylist and a fashion influencer. A fashion influencer works with brands, collaborates with brands, and they pay that influencer to put out content for them. I only work with brands that are authentic to my client base, to me. So my brand work is probably 5% of my income. So it's nominal. At the end of the day, I want to wear what I've already got in my wardrobe. And when brands say, oh, could you feature this dress? I'll gift you a dress. I say, hell no, I've got enough clothes. I don't need to add more to my wardrobe. Thank you very much. And if I do want to add something, it's something I want to buy. How do you then drive those bookings through your social media Are you saying on a regular basis, would you like to work with me? Come and sign up, click on my link. Or is it an unspoken thing that happens? It mainly is driven from stories because what my client base, i.e. 35 plus, love to see are real women I'm working with. So when I have a client in my studio or Zoom, I say to them, you can always say no, but would I be allowed to take a short video of you to post on my Instagram, which will be for 24 hours. And most of the ladies say, oh my gosh, yes, please, I'm gonna be famous for the day. And it's when other people, other women, see other women who are just like them, with issues with weight gain, weight loss, going gray, all of that sort of stuff, you know, normal issues, dare I use the word normal, that every woman may encounter. That's when they think, aha, she can do that for that lady on stories, maybe she could do the same magic for me. And then I sort of say at the end of that story, uh, if you want to find out more, here's the link. And what is the biggest driver is women just want a platform to speak to someone like me. So I offer a free 30 minute style discovery call. Helen, the conversion from that free 30 30-minute call is about 85%. So 85% of women then book me for one-to-one. 
it's it's staggering. I think there's going to be people making some some notes while they're listening to how how you how you how you fill your books and how you run your business. And never never ever worry about giving away too much content. Sharing is caring because the fact that I share so much content, women then think, "Aha! Oh, I'd love her in my life, so she can give me really specific information." just for me. I find exactly the same thing. You've got to work a bit harder to make these virtual connections. It's not like, you know, Doris down the road is recommending you to her best friend. I mean, that that still happens, I'm absolutely sure. But if you're seeking to connect with people through a computer screen, you've got to work a bit harder to prove what you know and demonstrate what you can do. Otherwise, how are we expecting them to, to work with us? Yeah. And I think the game changer was definitely... COVID, March 2020 is when I took all my work online, Zoom. And now I have an international client clientele all over the world because wherever you are, you're not restricted geographically and everybody wants a piece of me. <laughs> You know, don't think, don't think you can't do what you do on the internet. I know a, an interior designer who felt that they really needed to be in people's houses. They, it was an absolute must. They had to be in the room. And then COVID came along and demonstrated you really don't. Once you've, once you've seen a lot of bodies in your life or once you've seen a lot of rooms in your life or clients and people, they, you know, you, you can solve it. You can solve it. You can. I've seen over 5,000 women. But don't get me wrong, March 2020, my business collapsed overnight. I had zero, zero pounds coming into my account. It collapsed. So I had to rebuild it. And I rebuilt it online until I could see people face to face. Bigger and better, do you think, because of that? 100% bigger and better. So now if you ask me, what do I do? I'm a personal stylist, home stylist, corporate stylist. I do Zoom training. I do Instagram training for small businesses. My world and my portfolio of what I do has got bigger. What happens if something happens to Instagram in your business? Do you have your fingers in some other pies? Yes, I have my very, very loyal database, which is my newsletter. I have about 2,000 women on there. Um, and they are clients who have been with me since I started, actually, as a stylist. And although they may not need my services, they, they, I'm in their mind's eye and they would recommend me to the next generation or friends and family. I help them with shopping tips. So I always put sort of links in for them if they want to update their wardrobe. So you've got to have a backup. You cannot have all your eggs in one basket because if Instagram goes down, then, then where, are you, where are you left? I mean, if I think about what happened with COVID, March 2020, all my business was face-to-face. -face. Now I pivot face-to-face -face and in person in the same way you have to pivot Instagram and your newsletters and your database. Where does your style of working and work ethic come from, Anita? You, I think that people listening to this conversation will feel energised and inspired by hearing you. Where does that, where does that come from in you? Uh, I have to say my parents, they worked so bloody hard when we were younger, didn't see them very much. And I think that's because sounds really corny and cheesy, but my father came to England penniless. And then within uh, four years of being in England, he had three very young girls and he worked so hard because he just had to put food on the table and we had to be clothed. It was that desperate. So seeing him work hard, seeing how resilient he was, that's kind of where it comes from. I have to say it's my Asian background. And what then, finally, is the 
Ferran Clark style prescription for doing social media marketing well? It doesn't come naturally at first, but you have to put your mugshot on on social media. You've got to show so much of your persona, not only about um, what you do, your experience and knowledge, but also the human side of you, what you cook, you know, how you engage with your family. Fundamentally, it's how visual you are and how people feel they can connect with you on a human level, but also on a professional level. Thank you so much. I wish you so well for the future. I can't wait to see where it goes. Have you got any big secret plans or are you just happy to ride the wave? Uh, I'm happy to ride the wave at the moment because I've got a big year this year. I have GCSEs and A-levels, so it's hormone central in our house and that's just not the kids. Um, So yeah, yeah, I'm just happy to ride the wave and uh, just see where it takes me. It's been such a joy and pleasure to chat. Thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me as your guest. A few times in the past week, I've thought about the phrase, necessity is the mother of invention, because clients who depend on social media apps and their own organic marketing to drive work through their business have shown me how they can dig deep, try new things and get it working better when they need to. Anita was forced to do that in the pandemic and also to overcome her kind of Insta funk. And did you notice that she said she'd been posting reels for 15 months, almost daily for 15 months before one went viral? If it's either that or you're going to be forced to stop doing the thing that you love to do, you find a way. I find that inspiring. Marketing isn't silly. You're working. Rate this show, subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I've got some great ones coming up before the end of series four and the summer break. Thank you for listening always. Bye for now.